0: who can you trust This is Rob Johnson with Governor Perry's recently suspended presidential campaign. I've been having a little difficulty sleeping since the campaign ended. so what better way to fix that? Just listen to Evan Smith and the TripCast. Enjoy the show and sweet dreams. Now here's your host, Evan Smith.
1: Thank you, Rob. We love you, Rob. Everybody loves Rob. Everybody loves Rob, <laughs> Rob Johnson. He will he will now be back to walking up and down Congress Avenue. Thank God. With a faraway look in his, right. his sure. eye, I'm not gonna a smile He's on his real. face. He's a good guy. Well, uh, good good uh, good day to you. Uh, Welcome to the Tribcast. I don't even know, what is this, the middle of September? I don't even care what week it is. <laughs> Emily's obsessed t- typically with what week it is when she's here. I could give a, a crap about what week it is. It's the middle of September. Uh, welcome to the Tribcast. Emily is away doing whatever it is she's doing, and they've asked me, Evan Smith, to uh, to stay uh, in the office and to substitute for her on this Tribcast as the host, which I'm happy to do. And I'm joined by an awesome group of folks. Uh, Our executive editor, Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Is here, and uh, reporters, Jay Root. Hello. Sporting a Donald Trump Make America Great Again hat. And I've checked, it is made in China. (laughs) Made in in China. Uh, And uh, the uh, slacker, uh, Patrick Svitek. Hello. Who hasn't published a story for us in the last five minutes. So I'm going to see if he's not feeling well. well. Um, uh, so Rob Johnson is a great uh, segue uh, into your favorite subject, the travails of James Richard Perry, now two-time failed presidential candidate. Really uh, maybe deserved the first time around, but he was such a better candidate, relatively speaking, this time. Uh, if you would have uh, uh, predicted from the very beginning of this race that Jim Gilmore would last longer as a presidential candidate— than Rick Perry, could you have ever possibly believed it? I, look, I thought that he was probably going to make it to Iowa, but I I just
2: never thought that Rick Perry was going to do much in this presidential year. Not a whole lot more than he did last time. Whose fault though? I, well, his I, fault, I think somebody it's, else's fault, or the uh, fault of the of the pro- primary process itself? I think it's Rick Perry's fault. I mean, I, I don't I don't know how you can slice this any other way. I mean. You know, the problem was we said this right when he was getting in and before he got in, that if he has any more gaffes, that it's a nail in the coffin because it was so the narrative was so deep that he couldn't that he was a bumbler. And here we go again, Ronald Raven. And, you know, I think those things were very, very harmful. He became a little bit of a laughingstock again. Um and so, so you subscribe to the, the polls. idea. Look at the polls. He never really he took never off caught anywhere. He never caught fire. And the thing fire. is, is that people knew who Rick Perry was. I mean, he was the front runner so, for a so, while. So you subscribe
1: to the idea that you don't get a second chance to make a first impression, that ultimately the toilet paper stuck to his shoe from four years ago was the thing that did him in?
2: I think it was a steep climb to, be, to, to begin with for
1: in this presidential
2: election year, yeah. yes. A yeah. very, very steep climb. And he didn't even come close to rising to the challenge.
1: R- Ross, if—, if if uh, Rick Perry were here himself, what he would say is, uh, it was that mean Rosemary Lindbergh who did me in. I never got past the indictments. That's what he told Hannity the other day. You know the right.
0: the problem with that argument is twofold. They knew the indictments were there. The indictments were in place when he declared. So they knew they, you know that was a pre-existing condition. They raised the money they raised, which was not insubstantial. a million, million and a half, whatever it was in the campaign itself. and Help me here with the numbers. A 17, whole bunch, seventeen, in the 17 super million pack. in the super. Yeah, one
3: point, one point. We'll say will be generous. One point one is what the campaign raised in the first month, and okay. then I think mm-hmm. neer, nearly seventeen million. Um, so I mean, pack.
0: they raised not insubstantial money, and I actually thought might um, probably had the money to go until people started voting in January. Probably had the money to stay alive until then. Um, but Jay's right; they never caught on. They were, to the extent that they had a chance to make a second impression. Those little tiny gaffs. You know, and they were little tiny gaps. I
1: don't think Ronald Raven no. was
0: a big deal. No, I but think there was that no the forgiveness broken a broken
1: it. clock is right once a day was probably right, there, there was marginally worse with he, he was on with, uh, with
2: Halperin and like was uh, was asked if he could say anything nice about uh, Boehner and they were, and he sort of it got into this verbal diarrhea talking about they're doing financial things and it, it was it was not a fine moment. And, he did, he and, didn't get and Halpern this. said if he does this in the debate, it's over. So he I didn't mean get
0: the regular forbearance that other candidates Right,
2: did. exactly. You know. you know, a lot of other candidates might have done similar things, but they're not held to the same standard that Rick Perry was held. And Patrick, I think
0: what happened with the donors when they got to the point where they weren't raising money anymore, you know, donors are always looking the the natural default state for a donor is no. Right? You go to a donor and you say, I want to raise money for my campaign, and they're looking for a reason to say no. And I think indictments was an easy way to say no, but maybe not the real reason so that they were saying no. There was, to, you,
1: no. You subscribed to the idea that Perry did, that the, that the indictments were a problem.
0: No, I don't. I think that the indictments were the excuse the donors used for money they weren't going to give him anyway. you're not going to give it to him anyway. Right, I'm not going to give you money. Uh, it's the indictments. I don't want to say I don't like you.
1: Yeah. Right? Patrick, this field, though, was not the 2012 field.
0: No, I mean, I think as much as
3: it may have been about him failing to have a second shot at a first impression, it was about it just being completely, just there being completely different political dynamics in this field in terms of uh, the issues that were raised, the ways the ways they were raised, the kinds of candidates you had in the field. You know, people talk about Donald Trump, him being kind of the first casualty of Donald Trump. It wasn't like he was riding high before Donald Trump came along. I mean, he was still a pretty low-tier candidate. Trump came along, maybe he was the nail in the coffin, um, but... You know, I do think that um, it'll be interesting to see how he's kind of remembered as the weeks go along. You, even the minute he dropped out, you already had candidates hoisting him up as an example of it's it's such a shame <laughs> that the longest-serving governor of Texas, <laughs> right. you know, uh, doesn't last longer in this race than a reality TV star. <laughs> you had Bobby Jindal saying that Ram Paul. Ram so, Paul never you know. said anything <laughs> nice <laughs> about yeah, exactly. Perry until Perry he So <laughs> There's even this kind of like Perry martyrdom that's already kind of right. kicking right. in. Right. well, well but you, 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 you
1: mentioned Perry as the longest-serving governor. That actually. B- brings up another framing uh, uh, device for this conversation about Perry. You know, we, we thought that the conversation was going to be insiders versus outsiders, that the governors versus the senators was going to be the fault line of this very large Republican field, and that the people who were not in Washington and part of the problem, mm-hmm. but the people who are outside of Washington and actually running stuff, they were going to be the ones who the base voters were going to gravitate toward. Now it turns out that if you've ever been in office anywhere, that's bad.
3: Yeah, even the governors are having a hard go at it. Perry, Someone, Perry couldn't yeah.
1: leverage the fact that right. he's a quote outsider to, to any benefit. Exactly, and, and I,
2: I think it's fair to say that you know beyond all the gas and everything, that that dynamic is very strong. Mm-hmm. Scott
0: Walker can't get any oxygen. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, but the argument against Scott Walker has really been more that Scott Walker has underperformed as a candidate. I don't but know to the that governor
0: ri- argument. I mean, it's not. Catching. Well, you,
1: yeah, yes, but if you but if I think if you look at the people who have done worse than was expected, and I would say specifically Bush and Walker to this point. In both cases, the charge against them, the bill of particulars against them, has been that they've just not been particularly good candidates. I don't know that anybody said Perry was a bad candidate. In fact, people generally think that Perry was a better candidate this time around than the low bar he set for himself. Well, but again,
2: again, you know, Bloomberg had this piece early on, followed him around very closely and picked up on some of the gas on some little gaffes. And and in the the end, he was who he was. Yeah. You know, look. There are a lot of really, really good college football players who don't make it in the pros. I mean, there are a lot of really good golfers. Who the, the difference between some from from a golfer who's like really good but can't just get to those few strokes and, and get on the PGA tour? It's just a few. So strokes, So is he the right? Tim Tebow of this race? Yeah, I mean, I think that I, I think that you know, I'm I'm not great at sports, but you know, think of some great sports guy. You know, some UT quarterback or UT running back or whatever that that did great, and every he's a local celebrity. And you know, Perry was very, you know, Vince a, Young, very the with the steakhouse, yeah. Right? Vin, Vin, exactly. The, Vince I think Fro- Vince can Young, the Rick Perry Vince Steakhouse
1: Young. be far behind? <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, think it wouldn't it. surprise me. You know, everybody Vince in Roundtop is going to eat you. at the Rick Perry Steakhouse. That's exactly <laughs> how this goes. So, well, what does Perry do next? L- literally, not steakhouses, but does he endorse? Who does he endorse? Uh, look. Perry's
2: going to be a surrogate. He can't stay away from this. You know that. He's going yeah. to whoever is the nominee. I, I I really believe that even if Donald Trump were to be the nominee, that Rick, you'd have Rick Perry out He'll there. He'll put so. two
1: clothespins on his nose in case one falls Absol- off. Absolutely. <laughs> he still has a way to Washington, if not the White House.
0: He's in a perfect place to be kind of the Greek chorus here. To Defense be the guy,
1: secretary? Well, to be— Ag, he's Ag secretary? He's in a perfect Ag, place Ag. to be
0: like a— you know in that position on cable shows where they say, you've been in there, you've been a candidate, what's going on in there? What are they thinking? And to comment on all right, of this stuff and to right. be kind of the guy to be the kind of the truth teller, yeah. he can now attack Trump mm-hmm. without worrying about competitive deals. He doesn't have to modulate for an audience. He can just talk right. and say the things that some of the other candidates want to be saying. And if one of those
1: candidates is the winner, Perry's back in contention as a, as a cabinet I, I don't doubt that he supports the eventual nominee, but Patrick, is he going to endorse somebody in the contested primary? That's a question I've got. I think it'd be hard
3: for him to resist to do that. I mean, So who is it? With, who, who's
1: I, his kind of guy?
3: <laughs> I don't know, but it'd be interesting if he got behind someone who was not a Ted Cruz, Jeb Bush, or mm-hmm. even Rand Paul. And that could really scramble things in Texas, I think. Um, it,
0: it, you know. It's going to be very interesting if it's not Cruz. I mean, just sort of like straight up. Um, that's well, but if he endorses somebody politics. who's
1: not doing well, I mean, let's be honest. You know, the old laws of math. Yeah, but Six maybe, maybe times zero is zero. I is think he yeah, your cards,
3: waits. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, so who are the natural people or people that he's spoken
2: highly of? Bobby well, Jindal, Jindal you know, you who's also when a, he, a he endorsed uh, Rudy Giuliani? I mean, I, I, I think, and yeah, that and didn't that, go so great. Well, that was a natural marriage though, because it was you had you had a moderate who needed a conservative, basically. So I mean, right. I, I, you could see some alliance like that. I mean,
1: yeah, well, maybe so. I he's also spoken Carly
2: Fiorina. He's also spoken
3: highly. He likes of, Carly of, Fiorina. He said you. Make her a running mate.
1: Well, he didn't say mean things about her looks, which distinguishes him from at least (laughs) Donald Trump, uh, who was in uh, Texas uh, just a couple days ago, Patrick, at the American Airlines uh, Center. Uh, You happened to uh, attend on our behalf this extraordinary, classy, (laughs) huge event. Classy. Um, Tell us about it. Uh, what, so yeah, what, this what was, what was you, it like? What was the vibe? <laughs> what was the vibe? This was Donald
3: Trump's second campaign event in Texas, as you recall, a few months ago, maybe even earlier this summer. I'll say he went to Laredo, and it was Did kind he of fear for just, his life was, going like, to the American yeah, Airlines exactly. Center. I think he was a little safer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Don't piss off
1: Mark Cuban. <laughs>
3: um, this event actually was much more conventional. Uh, it was obviously a different kind of format, but it definitely had the feel of a traditional campaign event being put on by a traditional, conventional campaign. And it to me, it reflected how much uh, you know this is you know what he's doing. Doing is starting to resemble a just a natural kind of front-running campaign. I mean, the candidate himself and what he says obviously is is unconventional. But this rally and the way it was organized and just the way it was staged, it just it seemed like any other candidate was there. Obviously, it was a huge crowd, twenty thousand um, or so. I, you know, it holds t- the the venue holds twenty thousand. It was maybe two thirds, at least so two thirds full. Fifteen. So yeah, 12, as we, still yeah. a lot, of, a, a, as very we large, story, a very large, a very large rally. By far the largest yeah. 2016 campaign event in Texas this cycle. And um, probably sends the sh- shivers up the spine to some of the other candidates who think Texas is theirs. Because even if you figure, even if half those people aren't going to vote for Donald Trump, they're just there to see his celebrity or whatever. That's still a non-insignificant amount they of people got in their cars. There, they went you know.
1: downtown. You know, you get a sense that these are people who are traditional Republican voters. Um, talking to some of them there,
3: yeah, absolutely. But you also get the sense that it's some people who you know are maybe independents and just are just fed up with the way things are. Right. Um, but yeah, I would definitely say they're. I don't know if they're traditional Republican primary. I, I guess, but. Jay,
1: the question, I'm not asking it very uh, successfully. What I'm really trying to get at here is if Trump collapses and with each passing day that Trump remains atop the field. And I heard a statistic today that Trump has not not led a poll in 65 days. Wow. So 65 consecutive days, Trump mm-hmm. has been in the top of, of polls that have come out. Should the Trump bubble Uh, Burst is less likely today than it might have been, say, six months ago or three months ago. Should the bubble burst and those people have to go park themselves with some other candidate, are they likely to park themselves with another Republican candidate, or do they just crawl back into the hole they crawled out of? Well,
2: that's the sixty-four thousand dollar question here. Are these Republican primary voters? I mean, I think what you're looking at is sort of a Ross Perot phenomenon inside of a Republican primary. I mean, this is an independent candidate. How many Republicans do you know? are talking about raising taxes. I mean, he's he wants to raise taxes on hedge fund he managers, limit CEO pay. He's talking about right? he's talking about. He, Bernie he, Trump. He, well, he said some some nice things about single payer health care system. So. Um, no, Hillary Trump. I, you know, I think that he has uh, really Donald, Donald Care is what yeah, it was called the other
3: night in Dallas. Yeah, yeah, yeah I saw that. Well, look, I watched
2: that whole thing on my phone live stream. It was like crack. That was, I mean, th- th- that is you can't po- resist. it. It is political crack. It really is for a junkie. I mean, it it, it is good you, you,
1: stuff. You can't, you can't. Uh, uh turn away from it. I mean, it really is. It's a little bit like the old cliche of a car wreck. You know, yeah. I'm attracted and repulsed at the same moment, and I just can't stop you, looking at
2: it. Well, you know what's really, uh, I think, fueling a lot of it, too, is when he says that he is not beholden to donors, because people are really, really... I mean, th- that, that's fueling do Bernie you, but Sanders do you believe as it? well. Do you
1: honestly believe that he or anybody else in politics... I mean, this has always been the argument from Mike Bloomberg getting in a presidential race, Ross, is he's got enough money that he doesn't need people to come... Corrupted only by himself. Right, right. (laughs) So do you believe that it's possible in this world to have so much money and to be so completely um, uh, self-reliant from a political funding standpoint that you can put all that unpleasantness that we see in politics and that voters are turned off by aside? You can put some of it aside. It's like political
0: self-actualization. You know, you sort of get to the point where he's not beholden to anyone except for himself. And if you like himself you know in this case right then you know what you see is what you get there's
1: not anybody behind there's no puppet string of course the downside of that patrick is if you're somebody who is new to politics and you have enough money that you don't need to rely on people to come in and tell you what to do or what to think then that you rise or fall on the strength of how much you know and one of the knocks against trump is that he's an a mile wide and an inch deep in terms of the substance that would be required to be president of the united states yeah, I think that's the a, a big question, and one of you know,
3: when we think about like Donald Trump end games or how how he could flame out, it, it could be you know eventually he gets into a few of these contests, but he just in, in debate after debate or in public appearance after public appearance, he just does not seem to meet the the threshold of sitting in the in the Oval Office. Essentially, we've seen him struggle with foreign policy, seen him struggle with domestic policy, um, and so you know will at some point. The uh, his lack of knowledge about running the federal government and what that entails uh, overpower his kind of populist anti-establishment or appeal. Can you
1: be that much of an outsider that you just don't know anything I think mean, mm. one of the other things don't know enough it, it, or does it actually require that you know anything yeah. at all to run the country mm. well what
2: what one of the things that he's taking advantage of is the lack of action on I mean Congress hasn't done anything I mean it, you know people are starting to notice that Congress hasn't done anything I mean right.
1: it's gotten so bad that people are paying attention to <laughs> like yeah a conversation I, inside the Capitol I think people are starting to notice <laughs>
2: right I mean and you know I I think that like on immigration for example I mean Um, whether or not you agree with his solutions, there is no question that year after year, there's no comprehensive immigration deal. We, you know, people are coming across, people are staying here, nothing's being
1: done about it, and people want something done. So we may have actually gotten to the point where even somebody who may not, by conventional standards, know as much as has been required to be president, people may be willing to take a chance on such a person because the people who we've had who supposedly know so much They've done a crappy job. They've lied to us, basically, or haven't haven't done what they said they were going well, to do. Well, and that's that, right. And that, they're same they're losers. Losers. <laughs> that, that same phenomenon
2: has fueled Ted Cruz as well, because he has said, right, you know, the most it, outsidery of the insider right, politicians. right. So right. I, I think Cruz does stand to benefit if
1: uh, If if, Trump falls apart. But you have to agree that at this point, we're watching the phenomenon continue and continue, and we're getting closer and closer to January. And at a certain point, people's predictions about Trump collapsing or disappearing from the scene may be
2: moot. And Cruz is kind of stagnated, too, is he not?
3: Um, Isn't it about five I think, six
2: percent in the yeah. national polls. I mean,
3: Cruz would tell you that he and Ben Carson are really the only candidates who've been able to rise to mm-hmm. some extent in the in the summer of Trump, and I think the polling does support that. Cruz has kind of ticked upward nationally,
1: but he hasn't. But he hasn't ticked upward as much as um, Carson. As Carson. Yeah, I no. saw a national poll, maybe it was the CBS News poll that came out a day or two ago, Patrick. Trump had gone from like twenty four to twenty seven, still in first place. Carson, in less than a month, had quadrupled his support. Mm -hmm. He'd gone from 6 to 23. And Jeb Bush had fallen in half from 13 to 6. You know, really, it's the Trump and Carson show at this point. And in fact, just Mm -hmm. as Trump was in Texas this week, Ben Carson was in Texas.
3: Yeah, Ben Carson was in Conroe. He had a rally there. I think about, I would say, 1,200 people, at least, uh, turned out in Conroe.
1: Who in the center of Texas politics? It was a couple weeks ago. No, it was, no, was Tyler, yeah. right? Conroe. <laughs> You're Montgomery, no Tyler. Montgomery
2: County is the epicenter
1: of Republican politics. I think that. Yeah, I looked it up. I in yeah. think Texas, uh, Obama got 20 percent a year ago. In, uh,
2: right? Montgomery County, right.
3: um, but Carson's obviously appealing to the same kind of voter with just a completely different style. He's so soft-spoken. In fact, at this event in Conroe, he was he had such a <laughs> <laughs> to use a, a Trump term, like a, such a low-energy stage presence that he almost got kind of overshadowed by the guy doing sign language next to him. I kind of had to remember who is the who is the uh, <laughs> who's the, the speaker candidate, right? or who's the person on the stage. Right, who's this guy <laughs> interpreting <laughs> right. for the deaf candidate? <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. But <laughs> apparently, that's resonating with people and. Um, you know i spoke to for this story we did i spoke to a lot of his prominent supporters here in texas and going back to what you said about the governors, one of them said said something that stuck with me they said even in the race I, you know if you're a governor i don't care what you did in office if you were even if you're the most anti-establishment governor out there you're still being viewed as part of the establishment well, part of the problem. in this in this race right now Right. and ben carson is certainly tapping into people who even view very conservative governors as part of the problem or as part of the establishment.
1: Now, Ross, this should we say about Trump, that not knowing stuff has not been an impediment to Trump's ascent in this race. Carson is often criticized in the same way for not really knowing stuff. In fact, for saying things that are just factually wrong. I drove to work this morning with Joe Scarborough on, listening with half an ear, and Joe Scarborough was going on and on this morning on, on his show about how Ben Carson's a great guy. He may have been a great surgeon, I might want him to operate on my brain. But every time he talks about policy stuff, he gets stuff wrong. And neither
0: one of them would survive any kind of an analysis by a Republican looking for, you know, do they hit all the marks? These guys are hitting a lot of um, policy positions that the Republican Party and Republican voters oppose. I mean, they don't they don't pass the sort of are you a Republican test that's ordinarily applied in primary. Carson
1: seems to more than Trump.
0: I think that's sure, right
1: yeah. but 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 less than you know Carson strikes the others. evangelical <laughs> social conservative uh, uh, note I think maybe a little bit more reliably than than Trump does or so it seems. Yeah. We just I'm, don't uh, really have any experience <laughs> like this that
2: that I know of that, that to draw on of a candidate who is not who's really running kind of an independent candidacy inside of a primary. I mean, is there any experience where anybody has ever done that? I mean, I can't think or, of
1: or succeeded at. It. I mean, succeed.
2: I mean, you got, he's got to bring in some of these independents into a primary. And you know, people, right?
1: Yeah. So all so, conventional wisdom right. was Trump is you know a figure in this uh, uh, narrative for a period of time. The bubble bursts. He gets mad. Takes his ball runs as the third party candidate, elects a Democrat. Still possible. Still possible, even though he signed, <laughs> signed that pledge, Still nobody believes the possible. pledge is worth the ink that uh, came out of the pen, right, that he signed. Newer conventional wisdom, Trump wins. Trump becomes the nominee, and it's the conventional Republicans who bolt. Somebody floated the other day that the establishment Republicans are so freaked out by the prospect of Trump as the nominee that your third party candidate in 2016 is Mitt Romney. Yeah. <laughs> right that they that they're so flipped out by the idea of Trump at the top of the party and inadvertently electing a Democrat candidate president that Who they run that a third party horse? candidate yeah. Mitt Romney
2: you know I'm, I, I tell you what if, if Donald Trump gets the nomination, I'm not so sure he doesn't win because you know Ross Perot got 19 percent of the vote after he dropped out. After he dropped out and got back in and, you know, was seen as sort of like kind of a crazy—you remember that? That He dropped out
0: during the Democratic Convention in New York. Well, remember, he accused the
2: Bushes of disrupting his daughter's wedding. Exactly, exactly. And so people were like, he may be a little unstable, and he still got 19 percent of the vote. That's a lot.
1: So you think it's conceivable that if Trump makes it through the gauntlet of the— of the primaries, that at that point he may be unstoppable. Well, then you have, yeah, I mean,
2: you know, and particularly if right. you do have, like, another independent that is drawing some of the pr- traditional voters. So
1: let's let's talk Democrats, which I know in Texas is, a, a you know, who actually wants to talk about Democratic Party politics chupacabra. in Texas? Come on. <laughs> Are there even Democrats in I, Texas? I saw the chupacabra. Um, I ran into a Republican... Someone I consider to be a Republican wise man down the street, somebody who you all know, who said to me something, ca- cast the Democratic Party race in a way that I thought was really interesting. I said, "Who do you, what, what do you think is going on? And, and this person said, I think what we're looking at is President Biden. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I think that the combination of the Republican chaos and the Democratic chaos, I think what you're going to end up with ultimately in the end is going to be President Biden. He said, Joe Biden is everybody's crazy, accidentally racist uncle. He said, but Hillary Clinton is by, is the country. He said, America's. He said, Joe Biden is America's crazy, accidental, accidentally racist uncle, but Hillary Clinton is America's ex-wife. This he said, like and Ted given the choice, was, this Ted was not Ted DeLisi. <laughs> okay. And I, know, thought, That's I thought that was an interesting way to frame it. And I, it actually had to do with the degree to which Biden, flaws and all, has an endearing quality to him that has kept him viable as a candidate in the face of problems on the Democratic side, mm-hmm. and you know the Biden appearance on Stephen Colbert last week has continued to reverberate, get all kinds of attention. B- Biden is a sympathetic figure. Whether or not Biden has aspects of his political history that are, you know problematic, the fact that he's run two unbelievably crappy presidential campaigns in his own life, including one in which he was accused of plagiarism, The fact that he's been part of the administration that the Republican Party seems to hate so much, although interestingly, I think he gets a lot of the credit for the good aspects of Obama, but he gets not as much blame for the bad aspects of Obama. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just wonder if maybe where we're headed is on the Democratic side. Are we headed to a situation where, in fact— as much as the pundits have been talking about it in the abstract, maybe Biden ends up being the guy. Well, we know there's
3: a tremendous premium right now in authenticity. I think on both sides of the aisle. Correct. I mean, in terms of what the primary electorate. What is fuels looking for. Trump,
1: mm-hmm. in a strange way, fuels Biden. Yeah, and
3: who better to fill that role than the crazy, accidentally racist uh, uncle?
2: Well, and for all the talk
1: of <laughs> for all
2: the talk of uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, apparently uh, the reason that Hillary's numbers have been dropping is because Biden has been increasing. So. Well, if
1: you see the polls that have. There's like – typically the polls are taking a look at Clinton, Biden, Sanders, and then they're doing a second that is just Clinton, Sanders with no Biden. Mm -hmm. She's doing significantly better without Biden.
0: How much of Biden is not Clinton and how much of Biden is Biden? I mean how much of the vote going – how much of the consideration going to Biden is I really want Joe Biden and how much of it is I really don't want Hillary Clinton? Well, we
1: should – it's a shame we don't know anybody who runs polls because you could run a poll that (laughs) then did – you could do (laughs) Clinton, Sanders, Kerry – Or you could do Clinton-Sanders-Gore, or you could do Clinton-Sanders-Andrew Cuomo, and you could then be able to determine, is that just about not Hillary? I think it's actually for Biden as opposed to against her.
2: I think it's more against her. I think that it's uh, people, you know, uh, Democratic partisans love Bernie, but they don't think he can get elected because he's a socialist, and they're sort of troubled by some of the revelations on these
1: emails. and. So why not Elizabeth Warren, Patrick? Elizabeth Warren was also in Austin. This last weekend. I mean, this is yeah. we are out yeah, uh, as always. exactly? We, I mean, are, we are ground zero for everybody, right? Why, they come through so here. Wonderful. I'm not running. They're I'm going to go to Austin because Texas, <laughs> Texas is an ATM as it always well, has been. But, but they but drag t- the back. sack.
2: I think our our primary matters this time. I mean, we wouldn't have all these candidates having public events, although Hillary Clinton did cancel her public event up but, in
1: Dallas. But she'll but you know, she'll be back through. What's your sense back. of Elizabeth Warren
3: from? I, mean, I think she is. I think she's convinced a lot of people that she, she's just not running in the media and the political class. I mean, she's been pretty emphatic that she is not running. I know there's been some talk about the the tense that she uses when she's when she says that, but I think she's managed to convince some people at least in terms of how they imagine the race shaping up right now that she will not be a factor as far as being a candidate but, but goes. But
1: to, to Jay's point, couldn't you imagine the people who like Bernie Sanders' politics but think well he's a socialist. I mean, we're not going to mm-hmm. elect a socialist. That's the end of that conversation. Elizabeth Warren represents many of the same Democratic values or progressive values in what she says, as Sanders does, but she did he doesn't. He just call her a socialist? No, no. But but from a political standpoint, yeah. from a policy standpoint, actually, Sanders and Warren are more aligned than not. So, what about Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren as a ticket?
2: Why not? I, look, I, I think if Bernie Sanders <laughs> had never called himself a socialist, he'd be okay. The problem is, is that he applied that term to himself, and that's where he did himself in. So, I think that Elizabeth Warren is more viable. Um, because of that. But, uh, you know, look, I think if Biden gets this is a weird election, this is going to be a weird election. I think if Biden gets in, you know, it's like some of those late, the the late breaking momentum like that, you're
1: closer to Iowa. I mean, and he's run twice before. And he's a known quantity. You know, it's amazing. Uh, Speaking of known quantities, in the last few minutes we have here, I want to talk about George P. Bush. Um, who has by all accounts been ambling along as land commissioner, staying reasonably below the, the sight line. As land commissioners are land prone commissioners to do. As land commissioners <laughs> tend to do. Um, we've done some reporting on some changes that the land commissioner has made at the general land office. Uh, we, I think you actually got access, Patrick, at one point, to a video that we published. Yeah, Jim Mallowitz. Jim Mallowitz did, Nina did. Uh, and Nina did. Uh, 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 George P. Bush talking to the General Land Office uh, staff about uh, rebooting the office and the need to make some changes and all that. New commissioner comes into an agency, whether it's Sid Miller, George P. Bush, whatever, change is not a big surprise. Steve Patterson. (laughs) We haven't talked about Steve Patterson yet. We may may come back to that. Maybe save that for Emily, because she's a big sports fan. Come back next week. but this week, the whole thing blew into the open. Uh, a, a young fellow named Brian Rosenthal, who reports for the Houston Chronicle, you may be acquainted yeah. with him, uh, reported that uh, uh, a tally by the Chronicle staff of George P. Bush's time spent out in the world determined that he had been on the job as land commissioner maybe less than half the time. Mm-hmm. According to the Chronicle, since he's been in office, that he's been off Near, campaigning. Nearly half. Nearly I think half. Was the language. Yeah. He's been been off campaigning for his dad. He's been off doing other things, and that they question whether he was fully committed to the job that he was elected to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his office pushed back aggressively against that perception.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not to get too deep into the weeds, but oh. The- <laughs> <laughs> We're down. Go. There. Go, baby. <laughs> <So. laughs> um, yes, yeah, so, I mean, the Chronicle reported that it was nearly half the time over this 50-day period that they zeroed in on. It was the 50 days, I believe, immediately after his dad announced for president. The the, the GLO pushed back, and they examined, I believe it was a 60-some-day period uh, that covered most of this summer and said it's nowhere near that. Um, in an interview with us, uh, George P. Bush said that when he, when he really got down to it, it was about seven and a half days out of 63. I believe, that were he took off work for reasons related to his dad's campaign. And obviously that's nowhere near nearly half. But again, there seem to be right. different time frames kind of up for debate here and different ways of um, characterizing what time off, uh, you know, actually. Well, the entails. fact is, his
1: office, Brittany Eck, uh, one of his uh, communications staff at the land office uh, made the point over the weekend that much of the time that he's not actually in the office, he's working anyway. So yeah. he may be on planes, he may be at home. On the weekends, he's not just limiting himself to work yeah, hours. They, yeah, he told me
3: you know, I come. <clears> in the, you know, I don't know if his schedule that the Chronicle viewed actually reflects this, but you know, he told us you know, I come in on the weekends, I come in on holidays. I, I took off only several days after my uh, new ch- my child was born, basically. Um, and so, you know, I mean, their their argument right. is he's maximizing his time as much as possible while also helping out his dad when he can. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this is the perception, obviously, he's been – he and his people around him have been sensitive to from the beginning. They've right. – you know, as as we started picking up on the activity that he would have with the Jeb Bush campaign, we started asking more questions about how involved he would be. And the line was always – you know, this is – the GLO is his number one priority. He's only going to help out as his schedule permits. Right. Um, and
1: so – and I, in fact, Ross, yeah. a year ago, as we sit here today, he said to me on stage at the Texas a Tribune Festival ago, right. that he might not even endorse his own father for president. Say, he
0: wouldn't say, I support my dad for
1: president. Right. His whole point. point was, I'm committed to the job. And, and now his defense is, people, I haven't really been that helpful to right. him. If people elect me, you know, <laughs> well, given the state of his father's campaign, honestly, I might not be bragging <laughs> well, about the help I I'm g- giving i got either. to
0: ask two questions here. Is yeah. this really, is it? Would it really be that surprising that he was helpful to his father in a situation like this, A, and B... Is this something that's upsetting in any way to the voters who put him in office? I mean, it really is sort of an open question. If the Land Commission had suddenly, you know, ground to a halt or something had gone completely haywire right. over there, um, then you might bring this up and say, you know, you weren't even there. You know, the horses got away. Um, have the horse, you know.
1: Right. Isn't Jay an argument in this, in this story? Couldn't a case he make is this, hell yes, my father's running for president and I'm supporting him. Yeah, w- would, look, wouldn't you be supporting your father? I'm certainly doing my job to the v- best of the ability, my ability and the staff's ability. We're, we're managing my time so that the voters and the constituents that I serve are not getting any less than they deserve. But hell yeah, I'm out on the campaign trail, my dad.
2: Yeah, look, I think the political fallout is probably fairly minimal. I think that they're probably trying to avoid a bad headline, and they, you know, they don't. They, they were pushing back pretty hard on this story to discredit it. I, I'll say this about this controversy. I sort of take the old 11th Amendment. Uh, I, I never speak ill of another reporter. Um, but I will. I did notice. I couldn't help but notice Man that heck, Brian, Brian Preston, that Brian Preston, came to the defense
1: of the Texas Tribune. Flag for the Land Office, right? And I oh, just, over I over, just, over our long years together, Brian. I want to Preston, say thank you, Brian. Not an enormous fan. Thank you for maybe loving us, Brian. May, may have been a first, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, heard him. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll we'll have to see how this story develops. I think there may be more chapters to the George P. Bush well, versus he, the world story. He did say
0: in his own defense that I am spending twelve to thirteen percent of my time campaigning for my father. Right. That was the seven and a half days defense. Right. Right.
1: That's uh, that's uh, a lot of time. It is. But it, he's also saying that I'm making up the time that I'm not spending on land office business elsewhere. And as you say, ultimately it's going to be the voters right. who Who's are going to decide pudding? whether the land office is operating. Properly or not, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, Well, if you want to go campaign for a presidential candidate, (laughs) related to you or not... Uh, we're happy to hear about it. You're welcome to tell us about it uh, or send questions or comments. That was That's s- for you, Congressman Paul. Transition. <laughs> uh, or send questions or comments to tribcast at texastribune.org if you'd like to be the permanent athletic director of the University of Texas, which we can talk about next week. Um, you can let us know that as well, tribcast at texastribune.org. Let me encourage you to come to the fifth annual Texas Tribune Festival October 16th to 18th on the UT Austin campus. The full program is released. About 99% of the people who are speaking are reflected on there. We're still uh, uh, trying to add a couple of people in. We did have a one-on-one with Steve Patterson on the program. That has been removed, (laughs) but we'll be replacing that with something else. But it's a great program, and we encourage you to go to texastribune.org slash festival. Uh, to find out about that. Uh, we'd also like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music, as always. Uh, we hope Emily will be back next week safely because I really just have had enough of this Tribcast hosting stuff. Um, uh, so on behalf of Jay and Ross and Patrick and our producer Todd, this is Evan Smith. Emily will be back, be back next week. Thank you so much for listening. Texas talking Texas talking
2: Texas talking, Texas
1: talking.
2: See you cry. All right. this could be recording so be careful <laughs> All right. nothing your mics on pal. nothing nothing i'm saying i've not said publicly that's true well, it's fine